Good morning, Cornerstone Church. Let's stand in the presence of our Lord and worship Him on His throne this morning. You 
this room. God, anoint this time. Make your presence felt this
worship you. Oh, I worship you. Come on, sing it out. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you you are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. 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 Come on, church, sing it. stop you never stop working you never stop you never stop working even when I see that you're working even when I don't feel that you're working you never stop you never stop working you never stop you never stop working even when I don't feel that you're working even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop. You are way maker, miracle work, promise keeper. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Come on, sing it out. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise me. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. 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 You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. 
light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are may make a miracle work, a promise keep, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. God, that is who you are, and we worship you today. Thank you for the gift of the cross. Of defeat, 
resurrected King is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King who is resurrecting me. By your Spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected is resurrecting me in your name i come alive to declare your victory the resurrected king is resurrecting me great words here. The tomb where soldiers watched in vain. The tomb where soldiers watched in vain was borrowed for three days. His body there would not remain. Why? Our God has robbed the our God has robbed the grave. In your name, your name is victory. And all praise will rise to Christ our King. Your name, your name is victory. And all praise to Christ our King. By your Spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. By your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. And in your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. He's resurrecting me. Yeah. Amen. Come on, let's give a shout of glory for our resurrected King. Come on. God, we thank you for these moments of worship and to be faced again corporately with the power of the truth that you conquered the grave that you are our resurrected king and in this process of our lives you're resurrecting us working out our salvation got to thank you for these rich moments of worship father speak mightily through tony give us powerful words to live by remind us of your presence and your love in jesus christ's holy name we pray amen yeah god bless you
Well, you know, worship is, um, as Rick Warren says, it's really the only thing that we'll do here that we'll also do in heaven. You notice that. Um, it's the only thing that carries forward. And so this is practice. So to be able to come in his presence corporately should be an indication of um, your presence with him alone throughout the week. So we've got a couple of great events coming up, and we just want to continue to enhance um, worship, and we've got a night of worship scheduled for May 2nd. You see that? 7 o'clock. And uh, we just take these moments and we just unpack them even more and let the Spirit move in the room and move in our hearts, and we just give Him the glory for an hour plus and uh, just have a great time of worship. So make sure you come May 2nd, 7 o'clock. It's going to be a rich time. And then I'm so excited to finally make this, this date stick for the concert for I Am They. We've had to move it three or four times due to COVID. Yeah. So July 17th, save the date. We're going to have them here that night. It's going to be a great time. We'll have more information on our website and our Facebook page and uh, let you know where you can get tickets. And uh, just put that in your calendar right now because it's going to be a great experience. Tony, go ahead and come on up. Thank you guys very much. You can clap for me. That's good. I, I, know that, I know that wasn't for me. I know that wasn't for me. So a couple more um, announcements. I want to remind you, last week we talked about how with, with COVID coming to an end. So, so you know, as um, we want to start asking the question, how do we open back up some of the things we did before COVID? But we need more ushers and greeters to do this well. And so I mentioned it last week, a few of you signed up, but I want to remind you again, there's sign-up sheets on both information counters out there if you want to be part of the Usher Greeter team so we can open up some of the services and opportunities like, like coffee and greeting time. So we need your help with this. So please, Barry has, if you don't know Barry, Barry is one of the most organized men in the universe. Ushers agreed? So... Barry will have you assigned to once a month. That's all it is, one commitment, one weekend a month. So do that for me. Also, a couple years ago, Ron and I, the elders and I actually, but this time it was just Ron and I did a question and answer. We were all on stage. Instead of the sermon, we did a question and answer. And we decided to do it again next week. So um, would you put my email up there? I need you to email me at that email address your questions. So anything from the book of Romans, anything in your life, anything in the Bible, anything you want to talk about, email it to us so that we can put together some of these questions for next week's message. So you with me on that? Tony at cornerstonecommunity.net, email me. So with that, let's thank the Lord. God, we thank you for all your goodness and kindness towards us and give us understanding today from your word. Um, humble us, Father, before you as we look at this amazing concept of our salvation and how you sovereignly have planned the whole thing. So um, thank you, Father. In Christ's name, we give you praise. Amen. Okay. Are the lights up? Are the lights up normal? Am I just losing my eyesight? Okay, we know the answer to that. Um, in 2013, Teresa and I went to Hawaii. First time I ever went. She'd been before. And I said, I'm going to Hawaii. I want to learn how to scuba dive. So we took classes down in Reno in a swimming pool. But you had to be certified here in Lake Tahoe. So we were going the first week in May. So the last week of April, we got certified here at Sand Harbor. 
We had to walk through the snow to get down to the water. And it, it was brutal, but that's not my point today. So we were certified for the basic entry level. I think, I think you were certified to go 35 feet down. You know? So we went to Hawaii. We signed up for this. We just randomly picked the dive master. He took us out. He actually took us to another island over to Lanai. And we went into lava tubes, into caves. We also went, so we went 75 feet down into caves. We weren't, light, we weren't certified to do either. And, and so I, I was really nervous. And I was breathing heavy, almost hyperventilating. It was gorgeous. And we go into these t- caves. We had to have lights. Wasn't certified to do that. Then he took us and he had a big light that he held onto that had a fan that pulled him along. And he goes in and he takes the left, so it's dark, he takes the left and the light shines. There's about a four and a half, five foot shark in there. And it has a hook in its mouth. He's, he's been going, he knew it was there, he just didn't tell us. He, he's messing with us. It's a sand shark, they're evidently quite docile, but we didn't know that. So, so I mean, so, so then he comes around, he wants you to signal to him how much air you have left on your, your, your tanks, because you have your little monitor. And it started at just under 3,000. I signaled to him, 500. And he points up. So I had to leave the cave, go up, because then I had to stop halfway up and rest for a few minutes before you go the rest of the way up. I forgot to tell Teresa I was going up. We were partners. That's a whole other story, too. I get up there, and I get out, and I climb onto the boat, and the guy on the boat says, you took third place. I said, what do you mean third place? He goes, you're the third fastest ever to go through a tank of air. 18 minutes. 18 minutes, supposed to have been 50, 55 minutes. So I, I bring that up to talk about being way over your head, literally, to being out of, out of sync, almost in a panic mode. And as we look at Romans 9 today, there's some things in this passage that we'll build on from last week that are confronting to us as it was when I saw that shark and was not pleased at that moment. Because I remember, I remember having Teresa just get behind me. Um, Romans 9, we're going to look today at some aspects of God's sovereignty and salvation that um, really challenge our sense of, of identity and, and purpose and free will. And I need you to let this challenge you today. As we look at the scriptures, let scriptures speak and let's, like I prayed, let's be humble about how we respond to this great God. And um, I'm sure you've had experiences in your life where you felt completely out of, out of where you belonged. And for me, this passage just does that to me. So that's what I want you to experience today. We're in Romans. If you're visiting with us, we've been here for a while. I've titled the whole series, The Glorious Gospel of Jesus Christ, as we've seen that Christ came to redeem us from our sins because he loves us deeply. We don't deserve any of it, but he's lavished it upon us. And he's taken our place on the cross. My sin was given to him. His righteousness is given to me. And I am now alive to walk a new life, according to Romans 6. It's a gift. I can't earn it. It's called grace. It's all entirely because God loves us. So that's 1 through 8. But Then Romans 9 opens up in the question of Israel. If God loves us so much, he'll never leave us or forsake us. And my salvation is certain. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What happened to Israel? 
Did God abandon Israel? That's what 9, 10, 11 are about. So we looked at it last week, and we looked at the fact that not all Israel is Israel. So there's a remnant. Paul says that, that not every person born from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is ultimately chosen. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And so that's what he said. So, so God confronted us with the concept of fairness last week. And is that fair? And so we actually had to define what is fairness, what is righteousness, what is justice. And so last week we summarized that with God always acts in accordance with what is right. And he himself is the final standard of what is right. If you remember, I said that there isn't this concept called right out there or justice or or righteousness that God submits to. He himself, whatever he does is right. Whatever he does is just. So that that was last week's message. And we kind of stopped abruptly in verse 14. So today we're going to pick up there. And, And my first point is God's prerogative to show mercy to whom he pleases, or to harden whom he pleases, and that's ultimately based upon his purposes. So let me read that again. God's prerogative to show mercy or to harden is ultimately based upon his purposes. So let's look at 9, 14, and we're going to read through 18. And I hope this really grabs you like Paul intends it to, to, um, to be confrontive to our sense of fairness. What shall we say then? This is where we ended last week. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means, because God cannot be unjust. Cannot. It's not possible. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So that confirms what we talked about before in that what we called unconditional election, and that God chooses people based on his purposes, not some virtue he sees in you, but for his purposes. And, and again, that's kind of, well, wait a minute, God, is this right? Is this, is this fair? So I want you to keep that sense of fairness um, sharp right now. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whoever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Let's stop there for a moment and talk about Pharaoh. If you know your Bibles at all or if you've watched Charlton Heston movies from years ago, you know that Pharaoh opposes God and God ultimately takes him down through the ten plagues. So you know the basic story. But the idea that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, he becomes an example for us of this principle that God shows mercy on whomever he desires and he hardens whomever he desires. And by the way, when he said that, when Paul quoted that, he's actually quoting the book of Exodus where this story takes place of Pharaoh's hard heart. And and so we have to look at this story of Pharaoh. We're not going to go back there. Now, I every week put out a, what's called a Digging Deeper. It's a Bible study that men's Bible study uses on Monday morning. But I also put it in my notes so that you can go anywhere you find this sermon on YouTube or Facebook or the church's website, I believe, and there'll be a link for this. And, and there I've given a little Bible study on Pharaoh's hard heart. 
So I really encourage you to go home and open your Bible, reread the story of Exodus from about chapter 3 to about chapter 14, 15, which is the picture, is the story from, from God revealing himself to Moses until after the Red Sea. And you'll see in there that 17 times it refers to Pharaoh's heart being hardened. It starts off with, it starts off with God saying, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. So nine times God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Two times it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And then six times it simply says his heart was hardened. And so the whole question is, well, did God harden it first? Or did Pharaoh harden it first and then God simply confirmed that? And we can argue about that all day long. But in the end, what Paul says here is Pharaoh was chosen to show the power and glory of God by taking Pharaoh down. And here's why. Pharaoh threw a challenge out to God. He, when Moses comes to Pharaoh in chapter 5, after, at the end of chapter 4 in Exodus, and says, I want you, my God, Yahweh, is asking for you to let his children, Israel, to go into the wilderness for three days and make a sacrifice to him. And listen to what Pharaoh says. So afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold the feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, so here it is, Who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know Yahweh. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. So, who is Yahweh that I would obey him? Israel, don't you understand you are my servants? Israel, don't you understand that, that if I am the king and you're my servants, then obviously my gods are greater than your gods. So why would I listen to your God? And, and in fact, Pharaoh believed he was God incarnate at some level. And they probably believed that his son would be the next God incarnate. So God brings ten plagues to answer Pharaoh's question. When Pharaoh questions, who is Yahweh that I would listen to him? Yahweh says, I'll show you who I am. And so that is what's behind. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. And what he says later in Romans, in Romans chapter 9, verse 17, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You want to know who I am? I'll show you. So God's prerogative to have harden whom he desires and to have mercy on whom he desires, and we don't get to challenge him. So, God's sovereign choice all of a sudden forces me to say, God, but why? You owe me an explanation. So let's look at the fact that God's sovereign choice and my need for an explanation. Let's look at verse 19 now. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? So the, the thing about this is if your mind's already gone here, it's that you're tracking with me. And if you've ever thought about these things before, that if God has salvation planned at some level, 
Isaac chooses Isaac, chooses Jacob over Esau, says to Pharaoh, I'm taking you down. I'll harden your heart, Pharaoh, so that I can display my glory in all the earth. Paul raises the question his readers are thinking. Why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? How could Pharaoh have done any different if God hardened his heart? Is this fair? Do you feel the tension? Hello? Because this is, this is really important that we understand Paul's answer. When Paul asked the question, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? If he determined Pharaoh was to go down, how can Pharaoh be blamed for it? Paul's answer, verse 20. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what does molded say to the molder? Why have you made me like this? Paul doesn't answer the question. Paul says, you don't even get to ask the question. Now, if you're a parent here, don't jump too quickly to condemning God. If you're a parent here, how many times have you told your children, they said, why? Why, mom? Why, dad? What was your answer? Because I said so. And I'm not just trying to make light of it. There's a reality of authority telling the subordinate, I don't know you an answer. Now, sometimes as parents, we copped out and said that because we didn't really know why. But, but the reality is there's times where we say, you, you, child, you do what I say. I don't owe you an answer. And that's what Paul is saying about God here, that God doesn't owe us an answer when we challenge him on why yes to one, no to another. And it's an important place when I talked about humility at the beginning we need to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I don't understand. We talked about this last week. I don't understand. I don't like the implications of this as far as I can understand them, but you're God, I am not, and I trust you. Let's keep reading. Verse 20. We just read that. But who are you to answer back to God? Well, what does Moldus say with Molder? Why have I made you like this? Then he goes on and it just drives this point home. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use? Another for dishonorable use? Israel I'm going to bless. Egypt I'm taking down. What if God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? In order that, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared before him for glory. Let's step back. I forgot to give an illustration here. When it talked about vessels for honor and vessels for dishonorable use, <clears throat> I want you to think of, of pottery. You're a potter. You take a lump of clay and you throw it on the wheel. Actually, you take a lump of clay, you divide it in half. You take half of it and throw it on the wheel and you, you mold a beautiful vase. And you paint it and you fire it and it's something gorgeous you put up on a mantle and say, look at that piece of art. Then you take the other half of the same lump and you mold it. You don't bother painting it beautiful. You cover it in a proper glaze, you fire it, and you put it under your bed for your chamber pot at nighttime. And that's what he's talking about here. Same lump of clay, one for honorable use, one for dishonorable use. The clay doesn't say to the potter, hey, wait a minute, I don't want to be that, I want to be that. The clay doesn't have a choice. The God 
the potter makes the choice. Then it goes on, verse 22, what if God desired to show his wrath and to make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, specifically referring to Pharaoh. In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels prepared for mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. In the context of Pharaoh, that's Israel. Today, it's everyone who believes in God, Jew or Gentile. It's not easy. It's a tough one. As he moves on there, first, as he says that, which he's prepared, prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, talking about the church now, not from Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So there's a question now. This raises two questions. That I, I, in my notes, I call them two closing questions where we're going to spend some time on these, especially the second one. So first of all, what about Israel and the church? Israel and the Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles. What's going on here? This whole section, 9, 10, 11, is what happens to Israel, God? In your glorious plan where you've brought salvation to the Gentiles, that is not by keeping the law, but is actually by trusting in Jesus Christ. Salvation is by grace through faith, not by law keeping. What about the Jews? What about the, Gen the, the Israel? So, as I said from last week, Paul says, not all Israel is Israel. But God has created this new creation called the people of God, the body of Jesus Christ, the church, where both Jew and Gentile come into this faith relationship with Jesus, and that is the people of God. And we're going to learn as we come through 9, 10, and 11 that God still has a plan for Israel, the Israel known as the remnant. Those that trust in Jesus Christ, all his promises are still fulfilled to them. And chapter 11 has this glorious truth that, that God did this, this idea of going to the Gentiles, because of Israel's hard heart. So it says he went to Israel, he went to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. So this is all in 9, 10, 11. Please read ahead of our sermons. You'll see this. But there's a time in the future, it says, when the Gentiles have come in, whenever God's elective purposes, all the Gentiles have been come into faith, been saved, then it says all Israel will be saved. So that's chapter 11. We'll get there in a few weeks. But as we're going to learn, all Israel doesn't mean every ethnic person from Abraham's line. It means the remnant. And he's going to quote the story of Isaiah. Isaiah in the cave saying, God, I'm the only one left that follows you. And what does God say to Isaiah? You believe in a lie, Isaiah. I still have 7,000 people who have not bent the knee, the knee to Baal that still worship me. There's a remnant out there. There's always a remnant of God's people. Always. So that's where we're headed when it comes to Israel and the Gentiles. Israel and the church. I personally, and you can disagree with me on this, which I know many of you probably do, I don't believe in two people of God, the church and Israel, Gentiles and Jews. I believe in one people of God called the church, and that is um, Ephesians chapter 2 talks about that. He took the two, the Gentiles and the Jews who believe in Jesus and made one new man called the body of Christ. Christ is our head and we're his people. But it includes a plan for a great revival in Israel someday among the Jewish people. So that's going to be a glorious day. That's the first question. The second question, what about free will? 
Several of you have been asking me about this. Well, where's free will in all this? And as I've said, when we get to chapter 10, we're going to talk specifically about what we call free will. Because there, there Paul shifts from God's sovereign plan to how you and I respond. But I have a question for you as we get to there, as we think about this. So I want you to, I want you to ponder these things now. When we talk about free will, what do you mean by will? What is the will? This is where I want you to talk back to me. What is the will? A desire. Interesting. Okay. I, 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 I'll think about that one for a minute. I'm going there, but I wasn't, I wasn't equating the will with desire, personally. Okay, a, a choice. The will, I have a choice. That, 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 that's, that's the primary thing I see the will as, is the ability to choose. All right, so, so I must choose things. I have the power to choose, and I'm held accountable for my choices. Isn't that reality? So, so no one denies we have the power to choose. So I, 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 it's put on me. I must make decisions all day long. I'm able to make them, and I'm responsible for them. That's the will. But what do we mean by free? What do we mean by free will? What are we free from? Say again. So, so we're, we're free from influence. There's nothing that influences us. So, so, okay, your choice as opposed to someone making it for you. Daryl, you were going to say something? I know I'm turning this to big Bible studies. Stay with me. Free from outside control, okay? So, I like that. It's on me. It's on me. The, I don't tend to use the term free will. And I, I believe in the concept. But the word, sometimes we don't, we don't agree what it means. We haven't thought through it. Often we see this idea of free will as though my will is neutral and not directly related to the rest of my psyche. That, that it's, I, see, I would say my will is not some free thing floating somewhere that is not deeply influenced by other aspects of who I am and by you. I just read a thing this morning that, that teenagers are deeply influenced by their peers about whether they're accepted or rejected. So that influence deeply affects how they choose. If you, if you remember your teenage years, or if you are a teenager, or if you had a teenager, you know how difficult it is to be a teenager with peer pressure. Deeply influenced. But I want to suggest to you that the will inside of you is not the most ultimate thing about you. Your will is actually a servant of your desire. Someone said that a minute ago. Your will is a servant of your desires. So why did you come here today? Don't answer that. Just think about it. Why did you come here today? You could have stayed home and watched it online. You could have gone. Is the, is the ski resort still open? It's going to close soon. Why didn't you go there? How many love skiing in this room? Just absolutely adore skiing. So how many of you heading up after church today? Okay, so, so why did you come here and not just go straight there? So you had a desire for some reason to be here first, then go skiing. Your desire to be in church, whatever reason, whether it was, um, you know, to be with the people of God, to hear this amazing sermon, or to just to alleviate guilt. Whatever it was informed your will. Your will served your desire. Do you follow me? 
So I want you to think, I want you to think about this this week. And, and, and if you want to email me, I'll send you a great article on it. Every decision you make, your will is responding to a desire you have. Our wills are servants to our desires. And outside of Christ, our desires are selfish. But when God comes and opens our eyes to the beauty of his Savior, our will turns to him. Choice is genuine. It's real. But God is the one guiding us. So the complexity of this is amazing and it's beautiful. But I ask this question now as we, as we bring this sermon to a close. Has God ever determined man's choice for them? You hear things like, God will never make the decision for you. He's too much of a gentleman. And, and that, that's, that's a little too simplistic. Think about it for a moment in Scripture. Has God ever made a decision for somebody and they had no choice? I would say, oh, Mary. And she received it well. I didn't even think of her. I'm going to think about that. Thank you for Mary. She saw it as wonderful. Hmm. Pharaoh, obviously. How about Balaam? Go to Numbers 22. Balaam is hired by Balak to curse Israel. And Balaam tries several times to bless Israel. Excuse me. Tries several times to curse Israel like he's paid to do. He's, 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 he's a prophet for hire. Tries several times to curse Israel. But what, what comes out of his mouth? Blessings. He can't. He cannot curse them. God doesn't let him. God causes him to bless. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar looks at his kingdom and says, I'm the most high. Look what I've built. Is there God greater than me? And what's Yahweh do? Hello, McFly. And turns him into a beast that eats, animal, eats grass for years. Where his hair grew, his nails grew. And after that, he comes out of it and says, Oh, Yahweh is the Most High. He does as he pleases in the heavens and on the earth, and no one can say, What are you doing? And no one can stay his hand. So Nebuchadnezzar didn't choose that. God chose it for him. There's a passage in Isaiah 6. You know the passage where Isaiah sees God on his throne, and what does Isaiah do? Woe is me. For I have seen Yahweh. I'm a dead man. I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm from a people of unclean lips. And that's the whole concept of sin in your heart. Jesus tells us that, that it's, it's out of the heart that comes our words. And so Isaiah is saying, I'm a sinner, and I'm a people of sinner, and I'm seeing God, I'm dead. And an angel flies over, grabs the tongs, and grabs a coal off the hot fire in the, in the, in the temple, touches Isaiah's lips, and says, you've been redeemed, you've been forgiven. And then God says, who will go for us? You know, who will go preach to the people of Israel? What's Isaiah say? Send me, send me. I'll do it. Sh showing having been redeemed, Isaiah now is fit for the purposes of God. And Isaiah says, okay, wh what do you want me to do? And God says, go preach. And he says, for how long? And this is what Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 say. And he said, this is God speaking to Isaiah, go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, 
and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. God had Isaiah preach for over 50 years, and nobody turned back. Eventually, God sent in the Assyrians and the Babylonians to take Israel out for their unbelief. But at this point, God seems to be done with them. and says, this generation, I'm not going to let them believe. The very next paragraph, though, talks about a remnant in Israel. So there's always a remnant. Now, I mention that passage because I take you to John 12 now. There's not a, there's not a, a slide for this. Jesus is up in Galilee preaching and doing miracles. And he ends his sermon this way, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And this is John 12, 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has, who has believed what we, we who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 39, listen to this. Therefore, they could not believe. That's what John says. Therefore, they could not believe in Jesus. For again, Isaiah says, he has blinded their eyes, quoting the passage I just quoted you from chapter 6, hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. The concept of the sovereignty of God and his choice in salvation to show mercy or to harden is entirely his choice. And from Scripture's perspective, as we've seen in chapter 9 last week and this week, it appears he does it based upon his purposes, not what he sees in you and me. And this is why we can see someone that we think really deserves hell come to faith in Jesus. Because fortunately, it doesn't depend upon me or you, it depends upon God. And these things are very challenging concepts. And, and, and as we go through Romans 8, 9, we have to let the scriptures speak. Let's let God be God. When Pharaoh said, who is Yahweh that I should obey him? That, that, was, that was Exodus's way of saying, or Yahweh's way of saying to Pharaoh, there is a God, Pharaoh, and you're not him. I'll show you who he is. I want you to listen again before I give my closing thoughts to the verse we put up last week. This is just listen. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. That is Paul's foundational theology of why when you say, how can you still find fault, God? And Paul's answer is, who are you, O man? Or or sometimes they say, who are you, human being, not just you men, to answer back to God? Let's praise God for his unsearchable and inscrutable ways. Because remember at that last verse, for from him 
And through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So let me give you where I currently stand as we end this. I want to honor God. Like I, have a, like, like I have some influence on letting him be God. God is God whether I let him be God or not, whether I let him be God in my life. Because there's a day when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, is Yahweh. Every knee, whether in this life they did it or not, every knee will come to the conclusion, oh my goodness, they're right, Jesus is God. And they will all, we will all submit to him at that day. So when I say I, I want to let God be God, I don't want to sound you know, like I'm, I'm so gracious I'm letting God be God. But I want to realize, okay, I need to submit to this inscrutable and unknowable God and his ways because they're best. They're good and they're just, always. But I also, to set us up for Romans 10, never ever want to take away the reality that you have a choice and your choice is real, and you're held accountable for it. I've used a coin before. I've used that many times. But I want to give you another one I used a couple years ago, a concept in your head as you think about Romans 8 and 9, and then you think about Romans 10 when we get there. And that is two railroad tracks. I've used this before. So two railroad tracks are a certain distance apart. I should have researched it so I know what I'm talking about here. But they're a certain distance apart, and they must remain that way because if, if they ever come together, what happens to the train? There's a train crash. So one railroad track is the sovereign plan of God. The other railroad track is your responsibility to choose Jesus. And they run side by side. And they're both very, very real. We've been focusing on the one because that's what Paul's been focusing on. We get to chapter 10, we're going to see Paul starts to focus on the other track. And though when you look at a track straight, it looks like they merge in the horizon, they never touch because they can't because that is a train wreck. If we want to do away with the sovereign plan of God so we can elevate our free will, then ultimately he becomes submissive to us. If we want to do, elevate the sovereignty of God and do away with our choice to choose, then we become robots and God is the puppet master. So either way, you can go down an error, a road of error. So let's keep them parallel. When a text describes one, let's preach it and honor God for it. When it talk, talks about his sovereign choices, when it describes our responsibility to choose, let's take it serious. Because it says very clearly in 2 Corinthians 5.10, talking to Christians, that you and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for everything we did while living in this body on this earth. Every decision we made, every action we took, we will give an account for. So let's take it serious. Let's keep those two railroad tracks together. And the fact that the image, I'm just thinking this now, so I could be all wrong. So think, you think through, all metaphors fall apart at some point. If I stand here and see railroad tracks go on for miles and they eventually in my, my sight merge, maybe in eternity we'll get the solution of how these two are both true. And maybe not. And by that time I don't think I'll care. 
today I have a ton of answers, a ton of questions, a ton of questions, and a few answers. And one of my answers is, God, I don't understand. I have loved ones I want you to choose. And right now they're not following you or believing in you. Oh, God, please choose them. And I'm going to continue to go to them and say, choose Jesus, because today's the day of salvation, and to continue praying for them. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your kindnesses towards us, for your patience with us as we try and figure these things out. Thank you, God, you've given us a mind that is some way in your image that we can reason and um, put it to work to figure out how you do things. And I hope it's honoring to you we do that. But Lord, also remind us of our frailty, of our sin, that we sometimes reason very poorly. And to submit to you and your word over our own ability to rationale, rationalize things. Father, as, as we get ready to prepare our hearts for communion, I, I would pray, Lord, that you would um, Help us to see the, your credible, sovereign, transcendent beauty in all that you did to become our Savior, Jesus, to draw us to yourself. So thank you. In Christ's name we give praise. Amen. Today we're going to be participating in communion in just a moment. And I wanted to give us a few minutes to... Um, just to pray silently and, and think about your, your week, think about your walk with God, think about some of the things we talked about today from Scripture before we participate in communion together. Um, if you want to, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 9, 17 and read the passage there where Paul talks about communion to prepare your hearts. And I'll come back up in a minute and we will participate.
If I could have the ushers come forward. I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians, a passage from chapter 11. And we're going to ask you to come forward. The ushers will hand you the elements. And then if you go back to your seat, we'll all, all participate together. There's stations here, here, not in the back, right? There's some in the back too. Let's back up. Let's come forward. So here's what, here's, I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. And then come forward. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So come forward, get your elements, and then please um, sit back down.
for almost the whole history of the church, as the church has gathered together, because the Lord's Supper, communion, and you ladies in women's Bible study learn the word Eucharist, which means thanksgiving. When Jesus said he took bread and gave thanks, that's where the word Eucharist comes from. The church has struggled with and debated and, and argued to what degree is Christ present with us right now in a distinct way that he's not other times. And it's a, it's a beautiful mystery that I, I believe, though this is bread and this is juice, there's some sense that Christ is with us right now in a way that he's not other times. And I can't explain it. And I kind of want to go, that's as far as I want to go with it. Um, and, and Paul, after the passage is read to you, when it says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come, he says this, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. He's basically saying, this is sacred. What we're going to do is sacred. And I want to leave it as a mystery of how he's present right now, but I believe this is a means of grace, an occasion of grace. In some way, the grace of God comes upon me in a special way when we participate together in this. I don't fully understand it, but I believe it. So today, I hope that, that you have examined yourself, as Paul tells us in the next verse. We'll never be worthy of this, but our attitude as we approach it, we need to have a worthy attitude and a humble attitude. So, the night which was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks, that this is my body given for you. Jesus, we thank you for what you did on the cross that day. As that body of yours, that human body, just like ours, you live that life of obedience sacrifice it for us. We thank you for what that represents, Lord, and we love you. We remember you. In Christ's name, let's participate. Hebrews tells us that for a new covenant to be inaugurated, there has to be a sacrifice. Jesus says, he picks up the cup and says, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood. The sacrifice is me, I will die for you. To inaugurate what's called the new covenant, the covenant of grace, the covenant of, of forgiveness comes by trusting in Jesus. That's what we celebrated today. So Father, we thank you once again for your plan. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience to your Father, that you gave up your life, that you were set aside, you were abandoned by your Father so we could be accepted and forgiven, redeemed, and made new. We thank you in Christ's name. This last song is a very appropriate song for us. If you'd stand up and the worship team's already up here.
you have a great week choose to serve the lord make it your will to obey him we'll see you next sunday in worship god bless you